Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Season 8 of Game of Thrones begins this Sunday, which means Binge Mode Game of Thrones makes its long-awaited return, with your resident experts Mallory Rubin and Jason Concepcion guiding you through each episode. And to get your fix every Sunday night, Chris Ryan joins Mallory and Jason on Talk the Thrones, a Twitter after show recapping each episode throughout the season. So make sure you check out the Binge Mode podcast on Apple or Spotify, Talk the Thrones on Twitter, and for even more Thrones coverage, you can head to TheRinger.com. I need supports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, now his watch has begun. It's Andy Greenwald. Chris, um, I'm going to watch Game of Thrones. It's a, it's a show on HBO, by the way. <laughs> I'm going to watch it as a civilian this year for the first time ever. Unbelievably. You, I mean, ever. Well, you, on Mondays you'll weigh in as your critical self though right i mean not as an official capacity but you'll have your takes what if i don't what if i'm just like <laughs> i like tv shows what if it, this is the beginning of a new me that doesn't what if well I'm like, for our podcast though you need to have takes true true so maybe i should have let you know more gently but true. i think uh i'm just you know i'm a fan of entertainment no what i mean is beginning with the first episode I think which premiered just just after, after or around the yeah. same time Granlin yeah. did. I've had to either write about it or write about it and talk about it or write about it and talk about it or fly to LA to talk to you about it uh, on camera. And I'm I'm just I'm just I'm just a fan this year. You know? Are you? I mean, yes, of course we're going to talk about it on the podcast. Yeah. I, I did I did, I should not have implied otherwise. But what I mean is the last three seasons right or at least the last two seasons i watched with jason concepcion in the hbo office tower in midtown manhattan Mm -hmm. before flying out to talk to you about it and then last season we all watched together at the studio that's right which is a very different experience and sometimes um haley joel osmond was there and and sometimes t-pain was there or natalie morales yeah i mean actually that was pretty fun yeah but (laughs) i'm very curious what it will feel like to just be on my couch, you know, I, I, on my, I, to quote the great Sharon Horgan on the very good season four of Catastrophe, this season I am watching Game of Thrones all alone like a pervert. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I, I am really looking forward to it. So we've been re-watching. Obviously, we're doing Talk the Thrones this year on Twitter with Jason and Mallory and myself. And I heard I've, you got a table, by the way. I heard that on Bill's big, pod. Like, it's a real like Winterfellian table. It's from the Winterfellian section of West Elm. You can find it there. <laughs> Damn, they should have fucking paid me for that. That would have been good. If do I you have designed Winterfell furniture for West Elm? Do you have a pelt? I'm very concerned. We do have a pelt. Um, All right, so we have a nice big wooden table and a pelt and some candles. And we're going to be talking about Game of Thrones every Sunday, but we've been re-watching you know, a couple of episodes here and there. And obviously I rewatched seven to kind of get my, get my fastball back. And I got to tell you, man, pretty good show. Like in in its absence, I think I was maybe in the aftermath of seven. I think we all did a little bit of like, Monday morning quarterbacking about whether or not like you can get from Eastwatch to Dragonstone in that amount of time or whatever. And people have been like, you know, critical of some of the deviations from the book and, and even if just, uh, in spirit and, uh, I rewatched seven and man, I, it's still pretty good show, pretty good stuff, really good dialogue, really good acting. And I'm really excited for it to come back on Sunday. 
what were, just because I need to catch up and maybe some of our listeners do as well, for you, especially the second time, what were the one or two standout moments from uh, season seven? And yes, I'm hoping for a chance to hear the words loot train, loot train attack. That rules. Or whatever it was. That really yeah. does rule. Uh, we rewatched seven, episode seven the other day, which is the finale. And um, I really, really, really love Dinklage, Heady, and, and uh, Coster Waldau together. Like the, the, the Lannister yeah, kids and they're just, super screwed up interpersonal relationships, especially in seven when they kind of get them back together and the conversation between uh, Tyrion and Cersei and the, and he gives her the glass of wine and she doesn't drink it. And he's like, you're pregnant like that, that all that stuff was so good, man. Like I'm really excited for them to be back. And, you know, I, I had kind of almost like drifted away from me about where we were in the story that Jamie has left King's Landing and turned mm-hmm. his back on Cersei because she's going to double cross John and Danny, and that everybody is going back to Winterfell to meet this threat, uh, and that it ends with the Night King coming through the wall. And I, I'll talk to Riley McAtee a little bit later in the show about some of the stuff to to look for in this season. But yeah, I'm really excited. Are you? You? You're super jacked. I am better than super jacked. I am calm, rested, and ready. Yeah. I am like I am like Nixon in in '68, you know, like just <laughs> ready for the opportunity that uh, that 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 circumstance has given me. I feel really good, and I actually what I feel, and again, it, it, listen, I am not even going to pretend for half a second to be the voice of the Game of Thrones fan, <laughs> but I'll say that I feel in this moment, unlike previous seasons, because of the circumstance in which I'm going to be watching it. Very, very, very uh, ready for and attuned to this, what I believe the specifics of the season will be, which is a lot of very big, very broad, very entertaining spectacle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that when watching it to discuss immediately afterwards, as I've done, and as you guys will be doing an amazing job doing, what you're looking for are little friction points, you know, little surprises, little moments that maybe didn't hit exactly the way you wanted or, you know, sort of things that you can be mined for conversation. And being able to not focus on that and try to take in the biggest picture possible is something I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, and, absolutely. You know, might and might and might actually be a counterpoint um, to the experience you have watching it because you are going to be you're going to be you're going to be in it, man. You're going to be just, deep in I, it. I'm Jim Nance. All I have to do is say hello, friends, and then if they take the rest, it's like they get to be the experts. And I'm really excited to hear what they think of this last season. Are they going to Tony Romo it? Are they going to call when people <laughs> That's what they die did last time? That's what they did last season. Um, you know, I wanted to t- get your thoughts on a couple of things if you wanted to jump in and talk some Killing Eve or if you wanted to talk anything mm-hmm. else. But, you know, there was, there's a little bit of news I wanted to get to. So we're recording this okay. during the Disney presentation that Bob Iger is giving where he's unveiling Disney Plus. And maybe we can dive a little bit more into that on Monday after... Um, our Game of Thrones thoughts. There's also some interesting stuff going on with some of the streaming services like YouTube and Hulu incrementally raising their prices, mm-hmm. which I thought was pretty interesting um, because I think we're going to increasingly get to that creep where some of these, any accumulation of these streaming services starts to approach cable uh, in terms of its price hit. But we can talk about that on Monday. The thing I wanted to talk to you about is whether or not we're using our influence wisely. It's oh, a, it, ours? Yeah, it's a pretty heavy responsibility. And 
something came up yesterday that makes me think we're just really wasting our our opportunity here. Is this so, a stealth? Is this a stealth ad for English muffins? No, it's not even that. <laughs> Although I I I miss I miss my nooks and crannies. Me too. I and miss the I think game. that America's ad buying. Like collectively, the ad buyers of America needs to think twice about where they're putting their dollars because <laughs> obviously we launched Thomas's English muffins into such a place that they no, no longer need to advertise with us. But what I really <laughs> wanted to talk to you about was the fact that if Disney Plus or Plus, as it's known around these parts, is going to be bankrolling mm-hmm. a show starring Jeremy Renner about mm-hmm. the character Hawkeye based mm-hmm. off the comics by Matt Fraction and Alex Aja, Yes. Then don't you think you and I could get the Green New Deal passed if we talked about it enough? I, I, I think, first of all, I'm so gratified by all the words you just said together. Um, yeah, I mean, this is, this was a pretty spicy bit of news, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, so they the, have four, there are four Marvel shows that are rumored to be, they will, by the time you hear this podcast, will probably be announced a Loki show, a Vision and Scarlet Witch show together a Falcon Winter Soldier show and now a, a Jeremy Renner Hawkeye show in which he passes the mantle of Hawkeye onto his protege, Kate Bishop. Now, for what it's worth, we've talked about these things before in some degree, and it is a not at all secret um, in the town, as you and I should never call it, that all of these projects had been in the works for quite some time. Sure. They are well on their way towards production, uh, despite only being officially announced today. Um we talked at the time about how they seemed like really, really smart uses of the MCU, uh, especially indicative of the fact that Kevin Feige is now in charge of it as well, as opposed to there being a split. Um, or at least he's responsible for these shows, certainly, because they're his movie characters. Um, it's it's sort of misleading to call them new series. They're really what we would call in the old days of TV or in the, any days of comic books, they're miniseries, yeah. right? Probably about the, five the, or six episodes, I would bet. Yeah, the, 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 the time commitment for the stars is comparable to a movie or a big budget movie, certainly. And what we were hoping when we heard this, and in fact, when we first talked about this, was that it might be an opportunity to tell different types of stories with these characters, much like if you hand the reins of a comic book character to a different creator with a different aesthetic, you get a different sort of story. The one that made me the most excited then is this Hawkeye news, not just because we are died in the wool Renner heads, no matter what kind of faux hawk he has on that head. But that the Matt Fraction, David Aja miniseries, I mean, it was essentially a miniseries. It was about 12 issues they did together, collected in a beautiful hardcover that is also not sponsoring the show, but should. (laughs) One of my favorite comic books of the last 10 years. Just exceptional. Just makes the character the most fun, the coolest, the most stylish. And What's interesting to me about it, yes, it is a, it is about his relationship with another character named Hawkeye in the Marvel Universe, who's a young woman who was created by, uh, actually my, by my friend Alan Heinberg back when he'd created Young Avengers a bunch of years ago for Marvel. But what's interesting to me potentially is that it does come, it does suggest a very different version of Hawkeye than the Iowa family man we were, I don't know if anybody wanted to be introduced to, but we were introduced to in Ultron, right? Yeah. So that maybe in, in in the comic book anyway, he's just running a he's the landlord of a building he bought in. I, I basically think it's Bushwick. I don't know. And if he's like dealing speaks, with the Russian mob, right? Yes. Is Cardellini 
not coming back from the snap? Is that the biggest question facing us in Endgame? Well, I think the, the, the most hilarious thing about this news to me is that it's like this idea that this will allow Hawkeye to pass the mantle on to a young protege. As if Jeremy Renner has like l- like racked up so many miles on the odometer yes. playing a Hawkeye yes. when he's a zombie in the first one. I guess he has something of a role in Ultron. Is barely in Infinity War and is now he's not in, he's he's not in Infinity he's War. not in it right. And now he's got a Mohawk in Endgame, and now they're like, it's time for Jeremy Renner to pass along. The heavy albatross that's been Hawkeye. For for what it's worth, in the comics, there are two Hawkeyes, which is deeply confusing, but it is possible. By the way, follow-up, since we talked about the Endgame trailer the first time and we just were dazzled by Renner's hair, do you notice that he also appears to have... He continued the trend of having fake arms that he started in tag because he has full, full sleeves of tattoos now? Does he? If I was an archer... In real life? No, in the... Hawkeye, the character. And if... If I was a archer, I'm not. And if I was an Avenger and like aliens could appear out of the ether at any moment and attack me, I don't think I would want to like take my skill set off the table for the time it takes for full arm sleeve tattoos to heal. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like like just get a just get an Affleck back tat. It, it, you're fine. You just need to be able to arch. I just anyway. wonder if like you're if you're a person and you've got a house in Westlake Village or Sherman Oaks that I'm you're thinking a, about a person. getting off your hands and Jeremy Renner shows up at your house with two full yeah. arm sleeves of tats and is like, now that I've passed on the mantle of being Hawkeye, <laughs> I'd love to gut your house and flip it. <laughs> yeah. If, if, if there was a new character in the MCU called the Flipper. Yeah, exactly. I mean, now so, if this happens, then we know we're powerful. On Monday, we'll probably hit a little bit more of this. Did you want to take us out with a little, some Killing Eve thoughts or anything? Well, just a couple a couple TV thoughts. Cause yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to watch TV. And by the way, I'm thrilled to hear that Bob Iger is on stage right now. I am also talking to you from my office where I'm attempting to, to do my job. And... It's just yet another thing that Bob and I have in common, that we're just working through a Thursday. And I know from the excellent John Skipper podcast that he did with Bill uh-huh. that Bob Iger apparently wakes up every morning at 4 a.m. Now, I also woke up at 4 a.m. today, mainly because my children just returned from the East Coast and they thought it was 7 a.m. So it's I, I just want to say that like when you're looking for leadership qualities, I share at least one of them accidentally today. So this is Bill's big thing is that like that CEO behavior is that they get up. Simmons is always like, you know, like the the CEOs are always like, I get up at three 30 in the morning and answer Hong Kong emails and stuff. I could never do it. I could never be a CEO if that's the case. That's just terrible. That's terrible. You know what I mean? Like just don't, don't send emails to Hong Kong. Just (laughs) just send telegrams that take weeks and answer them at your leisure. Um, so a couple TV things. I thought the second episode of Barry was outstanding Me too. and addressed a lot of my concerns that I sort of, I don't even know if they were really concerns. I, I semi-trolled with them, I guess, the other week when we talked about the show. I just thought it felt really confident and really fun and really thoughtful about the characters in a way that made me super optimistic about the rest of the season and also just continued to look great. I wanted to just two, two little things. I, uh, Killing Eve is back, and you guys, you talked about it a little bit, and I have, I'm afraid I've not listened to your thoughts there from that's, the show the other day. That's hard. But, yeah. you know, we had, we had concerns about the show heading from the end of last season, even though we both adored it, because mm-hmm. it felt so deeply like a short-term thing. 
Like well, the, so the, much of it was tied up in the cat and mouse. Yeah, right. And the secondary concern was a show that was so, so, so much the voice of its creator, at least for the first three episodes, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, and that creator is extremely busy. And so it's hard to mimic someone else's voice. And the episode, the season premiere anyway, had so many of the things that I love and I think you loved about the show. Those terrific lead performances, like great visual wit and style, and, you know, a surprising kind of curly cue arc of tone that goes throughout. But it felt a little meme to me. Mm-hmm. And what I mean is it kind of felt like a performed version of, of Killing Eve, but it didn't seem to have the same. I want to be careful here because it was one episode and I love the show, but. You can, you, you can let it rock. This is pretty much what I said. I was just like, okay. I was like, I still really like the show a lot, but it's going to be a fascinating experiment to see if you can maintain some of the things that, that it, that made it special over the course of multiple seasons like this. Yeah. And so I, I wasn't sure. And I guess only time will tell. Was this the beginning of the deceleration of the show? A show that was so thrilling in its sort of heedless disregard of pacing and plot like it just went for it yeah, every right, time it just burned off um, yeah is this this is this the beginning of what is probably certainly a smart financial decision to sort of slow it down and you know make it a three four five it's already been renewed for three so four five six seasons show somehow which is the sort of thing that artistically i think might be tougher to swallow but i would certainly get it and it could still be good if not you know earth shattering and and transcendent or are we seeing something that speaks to the difficulty of uh, very, very talented writers and producers writing to the voice of someone who was instrumental in the beginning of a show and isn't there anymore? And now, I don't know if everyone agrees with me, like The West Wing, for example, is a show that I loved when John Wells took it over too. Veep is a show I love when David Mandel took it over. So it's this has been done before. Yeah. Um, but Feeling Eve did ha- does have a new showrunner for this current season and just announced another new showrunner for the third season. That doesn't necessarily mean anything good or bad. It's just it's just interesting to watch. So that it, it it's one of those things where I think I'm going to continue watching it because I love the show, sure, but also I am interested in the story behind the show as much as the show itself. Yeah, I'll be curious to talk about it with you on Monday after episode two. That, I, think I, that, did, I think two or three episodes will be a nice little sample size to talk about. I did just also want to say that I love Fosse Verdon and... Uh, I bet people watch the first episode. I hope people watch the first episode. I'm here to to tell you that the second episode, at least in my book, is even better. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the second episode where I was just truly and totally and fully on board. I just think Michelle Williams' performance is so wild and crazy good. Just, just astounding. And it's just so great to see her play one part for longer because my experience with her in movies recently, I mean, I think about the Manchester by the sea scene all the time, but it's such a, uh, it's, it's just, you know, that's just one scene Yeah, to be able to see her settle in is really magical. And I gotta say, how mu- I, I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself. How much did you talk about the coverage of the show when you talked about it? A bit. All I'll say is it's just, it's surprising to me to see that the re- many of the reviews of the show seem to be reviewing Bob Fosse as opposed to the television show Fosse Verdon. Yeah. That, it seems like an odd choice and there's so much more to be gotten out of the show, a show that I think is pretty smart and clever about what it's doing and who it's talking about. And, um, you know, it's, it's also just really unique in that it's so deeply theater. 
I mean, if if you don't like theater, you probably won't like the show, regardless of your opinions of Definitely Bob Fosse's behavior on the set of Sweet Charity. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Like that might be your your biggest obstacle to admission. Sure, but I like its style. You know, I like its jazz, man. I like that's its the musk. thing I think I responded to the most was the what Tommy Kale was doing visually with the show and what how much energy seems to be bursting from from every part of it. So I, I I'm I'm excited to keep talking about that as well. Uh, I, I, I also think that for whatever it's worth, I know some people feel like we've seen too many toxic male stories and and there are there are hallmarks of stories like that that are similar across across genres and across eras, and that's true. But the again, the theater part of it makes it interesting to me because as we learn in the second episode, and I'm not gonna spoil anything that Wikipedia hasn't spoiled, there is a and maybe there shouldn't be, maybe there shouldn't have been, who knows? But theater people, and this was true in drama class in college, and I think it's probably true on the great white way as well, seem to operate under a kind of a different, often to operate under a different morality. And things seem to be, sex seems to be more fluid and romances are more fluid and professional and personal are all tangled up in uncomfortable ways. And and obviously that can lead to terrible uh, mistakes, if not crimes or abhorrent behavior. And that's been in the news and certainly in some of these, the, the subtext or text of the reviews of the show. But examining the world in which these things occurred on Gwen Verdon's side as well, not saying that they did the same things, not saying one is good and one is bad, because that would make for bad commentary and bad drama, but the nature of who they are and who they were as they come together, particularly over the course of the second episode, is surprising and thought-provoking and really, more than anything else, entertaining television. Absolutely. Well put. Um, all right. Oh, did you say well put? Yeah, why not? Well put. Look at, look at us. <laughs> I just like to look clear out let you go. Um, <laughs> I guess we'll wrap it up there. And then you'll be in on Monday and we can talk about Game of Thrones the day after. I can't believe it's Game of Thrones time. I can't I believe it. Can I sit at the table? Just, I mean, not, not with cameras on, but can I just sit there and, and, and get my Liana Mormont on a you'll little bit? You'll always be there in spirit, whether you come through for the, for the four or five hours that we have to be there or not. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. I got a nice little Sunday planned. <laughs> okay. Good luck, guys. Break legs. Everybody watch their show. I'll talk to you on Monday. Great job, Brandon. Bye. Bye-bye. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Philo. Say goodbye to expensive TV bills and horrible customer service with Philo. Philo is a new way to watch all the TV you love. Philo is the cheapest way to watch over 50 of your favorite channels, such as Discovery, Hallmark, HDTV, AMC, MTV, Nickelodeon, and History. Never miss a minute of The Daily Show. Catch SpongeBob and Paw Patrol for the kids, plus tons of classic shows and movies. Enjoy live and on-demand TV, plus unlimited recording for only $20 a month and never miss a minute of the shows you love. Philo is great for watching TV from your TV or your phone or your computer or wherever you want. There's never been a better deal on cord-free, commitment-free, hassle-free TV. Philo is available on Roku, iOS, Fire TV, Android TV, and Apple TV. To start your free trial, visit philo.tv slash the watch. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash the watch. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Dogman. Cinema made in Italy and Magnolia Pictures presents Dogman, the new feature from the award-winning director of Gamora, winner of the Best Actor Award at the 2018 Cannes Film Festival and the European Film Awards. Dogman tells the story of vengeance where only the strong will survive. Marcelo is a slight, mild-mannered man who divides his days between working in a modest dog grooming salon and being coerced into the petty criminal schemes by the local bully, Simoncino, an ex-boxer 
who terrorizes the neighborhood. When Simoncino's abuse finally brings Marcello to a breaking point, he decides to stand up for his own dignity through an act of vengeance with unintended consequences. An official selection of the Cannes Telluride and Toronto Film Festivals and the winner of nine David Donatello Awards, the Italian Oscars, including Best Picture, Director, Screenplay, and Actor. Holy cow! The Guardian calls Dogman a movie with incomparable bite and strength. Dogman opens April 12th in New York and Los Angeles. Now I'm joined by Riley McAtee, who I've been working with for years at Grantland and The Ringer. Years. And this is Riley's first, I think, first appearance on The Watch or Hollywood Prospectus. Yeah. Welcome. Riley's been doing the Lord's work covering Game of Thrones with everybody else on the site, like Jason and Mal, obviously, have been doing these incredible videos and they have binge mode and they've been overseeing these loose ends pieces that I've been like essential to understanding where we are in the story. And Riley's written a bunch of them. Riley's also on a podcast. Is it called The Precapables? Yeah, we're calling it The Precapables. So Riley and Zach Cram will come to you every Friday? Yep. Which is essentially just like a preview episode for Game of Thrones. So you basically have the preview, you have Talk of Thrones doing the review, you'll have me and Andy on Monday doing the watch, and we'll have Jason and Mal doing binge mode and Ask the Maester over the course of the week. So that's going to be full suite of coverage. Yeah. But Riley, there was one thing that Zach wrote today about the Night King that I wanted to talk to you about. Okay. Which was essentially, a, a lot of it is like, what does the Night King want? How much humanity, for lack of a better term, does he have? Obviously, there's a story that we were told in season six about his origins, right? In right. The Children of the Forest. But just in a show way, how compelled are you, how interested are you in the Night King as a villain? Uh, not not super compelled when you compare him to the, like the other villains, people like Tywin and Joffrey. Mm-hmm. I just recently completed my rewatch and I'm just like obsessed with Joffrey every time he's on screen. It's so interesting and magnetic. Whereas the Night King is, you know, a lot more flat he's like more of a kind of typical villain and he's just like death personified yeah. coming at you you know you bring up in season six we found out his origin and i always find this so interesting that oftentimes people will say you know oh the the big villain on thrones is the dead john will be like oh i've seen the dead sure. marching yeah but the night king and the white walkers by extension are not actually dead right we saw that it was a living human who had a piece of dragon glass stuck in his chest in season six. We saw that the Night King took Craster's baby while it was still alive and, you know, put his finger to his face and turned it into a White Walker. Right. So there's evidence that the White Walkers and the Night King are living, sentient beings that aren't just like zombies, really. They're different. Sure. They're not just like empty killing machines, although they do operate like that for the most part. Yeah, they might be empty killing machines in terms of how they're written on the show, but their origin isn't like, you know, they're the undead walking and all they want to do is make everyone dead like them. They're literally not dead. Yeah. So I think the thing I'm kind of curious about and how it plays out is this is a show that's done so well about with looking at enemies within, looking at how families can fight with one another, how uh, families can betray one another, how truces can fall apart and alliances can fall apart. And they're giving themselves a big bad in a way, and Cram wrote about this today, that they haven't had before, which is an unambiguously evil marching thing, rather than somebody like Joffrey, who in some ways was something of a magic trick because he was a kid, you know? Or somebody like Tywin, who, while doing evil things, was obviously charming. Had, like, certain motivations and stuff. Even even Ramsay, who's the closest to just, like, pure black evil they've had before, had, like, his 
he was a bastard who wanted to be raised to be a true Bolton that Mm -hmm. kind of parallels him with John. And obviously, you know, John and him have the battle of the bastards. There's just nothing like that for the Night King. Right. He's, and, and Cram was sort of talking about him as a Sauron figure and how it's sort of like, like Legolor the Rings. But that it's kind of interesting because Martin, George R.R. Martin typically has rejected or subverted those kinds of tropes in the past where it's just like there's a good and an evil. Yeah, I think that my my suspicion is that in the books we'll get a different Night King. One of the things about the books is that, first off, there is no real Night King character yet that exists in like the current state in the books. Of the books, okay. And we also get fewer glimpses of them. Like the Hard Home Massacre happens in the books, but John's not there. And then, so there's no character there that um, that we can see what happens. Like there's no home. POV character at Hard Home in the That's books? That's right. So yeah. who's, is it like Ed or who's there? Like, no, you, you uh, the wildlings are there and they find out after through like letters that are coming into Castle Black. Oh, wow. And so you know that something happened, but I, I tend to think that it's intentional from George R. R. Martin to not have anyone too close to the White Walkers ever because I think he would kind of give the game away a little bit. Right, okay. So if you had to guess, it's not even a prediction that I would hold you to as much as maybe like what would you find particularly satisfying? Would you find it satisfying for this season to essentially be split into two where there's the first half of the season is the fight against the White Walkers and then the second half of the season is the fight between the North and the South to decide who sits on the throne? Or do you think that it kind of is going to be more mixed up together a little bit. I think it, I think it'll kind of have to go together, right? Because yeah. if they, we, so we know that episode three is going to be the Battle of Winterfell. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they can beat the Night King and the White Walkers after seven seasons of buildup in the third episode. But I do think that Cersei, now that she's made it through season seven, I kind of thought she was going to die in the, mm-hmm. season seven going into the season. I think she's now kind of an end game. I think she'll make it all the way to the finale. So I kind of think that maybe both of those get resolved kind of at the same time, maybe in like parallel fashion in some way. So you think that, because one of the things that's really interesting from a storytelling perspective as you rewatch the show is how um, increasingly all the characters are starting to show up in the same place. Yeah. Right, so especially at the end of Seven, you've literally got all the characters except for Arya and Sansa in the same place on Yara and a couple other people. But uh-huh. there's Winterfell and there's King's Landing, and by that point, both of these sort of factions have come together. And then at the end of Seven, even Jamie is going off to join the folks up north to fight the, the White Walkers. And the show's usually done that in a really cool way where it's just been hopping around the globe, basically tracking different characters in different places. But I think obviously we're going to get a lot more concentration of characters in the same place. So I wonder how the storytelling itself will change. Like how much they'll keep doing it's like one seven-minute scene in a room, another yeah. seven-minute scene in a room, another one, and then a fight. You It'll know? just be different rooms in Winterfell, just kind of so, going, yeah. going door-to-door, like, knock-knock, here's your seven minutes. But they don't do a lot of stuff like that. You know, they typically pick one place, do a scene, yes. and then either hop to another part of the map or have some sort of action that breaks it up a little bit. Right. It'd be kind of weird if they just, like, hopped back and forth between Winterfell and King's Landing every seven minutes for yeah. an entire episode. <laughs> so that's actually, I haven't thought about that. They, they'll have to find a different way to sort of like pace the episode kind sure. of just because of how condensed it is geographically. Yeah, so it'll be it'll be kind of fascinating to see how they work that out. All right, the other reason why I brought Riley on is that he is one of the big Survivor fans at the Ringer. And last night's yeah. Survivor episode, um, I know this is pretty niche for people who listen to the podcast, but I did want to talk about it because it was a particularly like amazing episode. 
Um, it was wild. Yeah, it's this season is Edge of Extinction. Edge of Extinction. Edge of Extinction. So essentially, the conceit is that when someone gets voted out in this game, they go to a little like they walk off stage, quote unquote, or out, uh-huh. out of tribal council, and they go down a path. And there's a sign, and there's a sign that says, "If you go to the left, you can stay in the game. You go to ex- uh, Extinction Extinction Island." Is that what it yeah, is? Yeah, uh, yeah. I think Edge of Extinction or, Island yeah, or Extinction of, Island, something, something like, like that. that. I you still think of it as Exile. <laughs> go to a worse camp. Yeah, on a beach where there's like nothing there in terms of amenities or supplies. There's just a white flag calling out to you, and if you raise it, you get to go home and eat cheeseburgers. Or you can go home and eat cheeseburgers immediately. And so far, I don't think anybody has chosen cheeseburgers. A, a couple did. A couple. A couple have left the game full on after the uh, after the first challenge to get back in when they lost. It was like Wendy and and somebody else. Oh, but they, they chose to leave from Extinction Island, not from the when they were walking out of Tribal. I think so. Oh, they did? I'm not okay. sure. Well, in any case, most people have chosen to go to uh, the Edge of Extinction, to go to this. They, this. Yeah, they've, they've all gone there for at least like some period of yes. time. Yes. And so that has created an interesting tension because usually what happens with Survivor is there's this winnowing out of the characters and the people who are watching it start to have favorites. Uh-huh. You start to get more and more into different people or yes. start pulling for different people. But essentially, the cast of Survivor has stayed around the same size for like six weeks now. Yeah, yeah. And that's a, that's a really difficult thing to understand because it's it's just less time spent with any one person, even though there are people who are getting a lot of screen time like David and Wardog and these other people. Right? Uh-huh. But last night, they had this really cool thing happen. So basically, there's a bunch of like smaller tribes within tribes. There are a bunch of smaller alliances within alliances. It's pretty typical for Survivor. But... Because of how leveled out it feels, at Tribal, they wound up essentially having a live Tribal where they didn't, the do, they didn't do much talking at the beach, but when they went to Tribal, did live people walking to and from different groups saying like, you have my vote, no, you have my vote. Yeah, it was kind of funny because they they had that scene at the beach where they're all sitting around the campfire and no one would look at anyone. Yeah. And and uh, I think it was Victoria who's just like scraping the rice out of the bowl. They did a really good job, it. and Wentworth is sitting really there, and it she's up. like, "I'm getting really nervous because yep. nobody will talk to me." And Victoria's no one will make just eye scraping contact. the cast iron pot. And then what happened was essentially there was this like chaotic negotiation live on screen. Julia kind of gave the game away, I think, because yeah. she she like looked at Wentworth and was like. Hey, the plan's still on, and Devin sitting directly behind her, who is not in on the plan, went, Oh, wait a second. Yeah. That means there's something happening here. And so he just tried to like blow it up. And to his credit, he did. Yes. And meanwhile, there is another character named Julie who they kind of like broke over the course of the episode, who like yeah. initially in the episode was just like, I'm so hungry. I'm so tired. I miss my family. But basically cried every time she started talking. Yeah. And then at Tribal was like just flipping out and being like, I don't want to be on the bottom, so I'm going to flip. And then would like in the middle, like walk over to the other group and be like, I don't want to uh-huh. be with them. I want to be with you. But she miraculously makes it through this tribal. All, all the people who were trying to get her to work with them in, in this episode had left her out on, on the previous one. Yeah. And they were like, oh no, you know, comma strong we're still together and it's like how can you be comma strong you literally just blindsided right. her two days ago right 
So um, the thing that I thought was really cool that I wanted to talk to you about briefly was that I pretty much watch survival for tribals anyway. Like yeah. I'm, I, I like the challenges, but when the challenges are on, I tend to like look at my phone or, you know, uh-huh. like get up and oh, grab yeah. a glass of water. Like I've seen them all by this point. Like nothing can happen really in a challenge. I know like how injured somebody can get or, yes. you know, and then you've got like also people like Joe who are so good at challenges, but usually don't make it that far in the game. So I'm kind of checked out on challenges, but this was really interesting because they do an immunity challenge and it happens really early in the episode. And then they yeah. go to tribal at like the 25, 28 yeah, minute mark. it was mark. really weird. I remember watching it and being like, wait, this isn't a reward or they, challenge? Are they doing two tribals today or what? Yes. It was, and it, it turns was out they need all this weird. time to show the tribal. And it made me feel like this could be a really cool wrinkle for the game going forward from time to time is essentially what would happen if after an immunity challenge, they then sequestered the players so that they couldn't negotiate until they got to tribal. Uh-huh. Do you think that would be interesting TV? I think that, I, like, I love a good live tribal, but I kind of feel like it's uh, it's like chocolate cake or something. You can have it every once in a while, but you can't have it every night for dinner. Yeah, it would be pretty nuts to see it every night, I think every that time. You, I think that you need, for a live tribal to work too, you have to know the different characters, the different people who are on it. And so if they're only scrambling every episode, I don't know how much you'd actually get to know the different dynamics that are at play in each episode. You kind of need the confessionals and you need like the camp life and you need other things that are going on. I feel like you get one or two of these really good live tribals a season, but if it happens every time, then it just becomes so much chaos that you can't follow it. Yeah, you're, I mean, that's true. I, I also think that it would take away from some of the beachside stuff that's pretty interesting in terms of trying yeah. to like get squirrel away. The thing I thought was really interesting last night was Devers. Is that the guy? Devins. Devins. Devins, uh, basically pulled off what in and of itself I think is an underrated survivor skill, which is coming up with a plausible pitch to the group for like another path on the spot. Yeah. And basically like managing a tribal outburst without getting himself voted off the game. Yeah. It's really interesting because you kind of see like Wentworth and David who have played the game before Mm kind of knew when to like shut up and they had that great moment where David was sort of like what was the plan tonight and Wentworth was like well we were going to vote you out yes. but I don't know what's happening right, now but they actually seem like they've been able to the hardest part of this game would probably be to like not get too emotional about ever being in danger yeah. well and you had the you had the like the confessionals that they had going into tribal where both of them were like something is wrong I feel like I'm in danger yes. and they were both basically right because yes. um, David wanted the idol Yep, and Wentworth like sussed out like no one will talk to me there's something weird going on yes and it really shows like how having experience coming into the game gives you like such a huge edge but I felt like Devin's basically got it over on Julia when she was just like you're just a passenger and he's like I have the GPS because if you guys want to do this like we can change this game right now and instead of a lot of the times when people start to talk extemporaneously at tribal they start to freak out a little bit or they get like upset or they get defensive and Devin's just like kind of laid it out in a real I don't think he's gonna win but that was like a very impressive move he's been a really impressive character you know he's the one who earned his way back in after being on exile Mm -hmm. and uh or on extinction island whatever they're calling it it. yeah (laughs) um but yeah I mean you saw because there were a few other people who like, like I think Victoria, who kind of just like kept their head down during all of this madness yeah. and sort of knew like everyone else is digging their graves. Maybe if I just, just like be quiet, yeah. we'll be fine. 
And I think there's like a really delicate line between basically being Devons and being able to cause all the chaos and take advantage of it and being Julia who came into the the tribal not in danger and then ended up talking herself into sinking herself. Her out. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It was fascinating. So we'll have to check that out. I'll have Riley on again maybe towards the end of the season. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Good luck yeah. with the pre-capables. We'll be listening. Thanks for having me. Yeah. All right. We'll talk to you guys on Monday. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Philo. Philo has over 50 of your favorite channels like Discovery, Science Channel, Hallmark, The Food Network, AMC, VH1, MTV, A&E, and more. Enjoy live TV and on-demand TV plus unlimited recording for $20 a month with no contract needed. Philo is available on Roku, iOS, Fire TV, Android TV, Apple TV. Start your free trial instantly with just a phone number. To start your free trial, visit philo.tv slash the watch. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash the watch.